Thank you, Molly. I appreciate that prayer for one, and I just appreciate Molly, huh? How about working the guitar today? Yeah. They're clapping for you, Molly. Don't turn your back on them. You're going to need them. Well, there was a woman who was very devoted. She loved God, and every morning, uh, people knew it, neighbors knew it, because she would walk outside on her front porch, and she would shout. She would proclaim, praise the Lord, every morning. And every morning, the man lived next to her would walk out, and on his porch, he would say, there is no God. A woman who loved God, praise the Lord. An atheist man next door, there is no God. Every morning, praise the Lord, there is no God. And there was a stretch where the woman went through just a tough season financially. And she wondered, she still wanted to praise the Lord, but she was wondering how and when God was going to provide for her needs. She couldn't even buy groceries. And so on her front porch that morning, she proclaimed, praise the Lord. But Lord, I pray that you would provide for me, that you would give me groceries and things that I need. She went back inside. The next morning, she walked out and lo and behold, at her feet on the front steps, groceries. And you know what she said? She said, praise the Lord. And suddenly, out of nowhere, the man jumps out from behind a bush and he says, I bought those groceries for you. You see, there is no God. And the woman said, Lord, I thank you and I praise you that you provided for me groceries and you used Satan to buy them. (laughs) We're in a series. It's just a few weeks long. And if you've been troubled by this series, you'll be glad to know today that it ends. But this series we've called Enough, sharing the things that you own before they own you. And we've looked at three or are looking at three specific commands from Scripture. Week one, we looked at this command, be content. And then we looked at the command to be rich. And then today, we're going to look in just a moment at the command, the invitation to be enriched. In other words, what God is saying to us, that he makes some promises to us in his word if we live as he calls us to live. If we become the kind of people, if we become Christ-like and learn to be generous people. We said in week one that this command, be content, can sound a little easy. It can sound trite and almost offensive because it's hard to be content. And we've sort of defined contentment as a satisfied heart. It's a heart that says, I'm okay with this and I'm okay not having it. It's a heart that we've said, though rare, it's a heart that can be at a place where you don't want to be. And here in that place of difficulty, when you aspire to be somewhere else, when you want to see something else happen, even though you're here, you can be fully alive to God and fully present with people. Be content. And what does Paul say in 1 Timothy 6, the passage we've been looking at? Godliness with contentment, it is great gain. If you want to know what real riches is, follow after Jesus and have a heart of contentment. And that's what really matters. That's, that's real riches. That's great gain. And then we look week two at be rich. Now let me ask you, who's rich? Raise your hand if you're rich. Don't raise your hand. Um, Some of you have been around long enough to know where I'm going with this one. But are you rich? Let me say you're rich if you've ever walked into a refrigerator, opened a door to a refrigerator, I should say, and it's full, yet you say, I don't have anything to eat. Or you've walked into a closet like I had you do on assignment number one, week one, and you walk into your closet and it's full of clothes, but you say, I don't have anything to wear. You may be rich. You may be rich if you ever complain about a flight delay or the cable or direct TV guy. You may be rich. If you've ever said out loud, gosh, we only have one car this week, you might be rich. But listen, we want to be clear. This is not a series that rips the rich. In fact, if there's a few among us who have a lot of good things, I say, God bless you. 
We don't teach a prosperity theology, and we do not teach a poverty theology. But God said in his word, I hope you remember it from last week, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6, 17. God gives us richly all things to enjoy. I ask you, if you were here last week, I ask you, what do you enjoy? Are you enjoying the gifts that he gives? I hope that you do. But how can you enjoy it without putting your hope in it and building your life on it? That's where we get separated, right? From the way of Jesus. Be content and be rich. And today we'll look at be enriched. I want us to put up, uh, or you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll put it up in a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is one of two chapters, verses, I'm sorry, chapters 8 and 9, that are, I think, some of the most brilliant uh, verses in all the Bible on generosity. So this is part of it. We can't go into all of it, but just a part I want us to consider together. Here we go. I'll give you a little bit of context because the first four words make you wonder what happened before this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I think we're reading verses 6 through 11 for those of you who have an open Bible. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Isn't that freeing? And God is able, do we believe this? Does anybody believe this? Do we have any testimonies? And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God's word. Now last week we said from a different passage from 1 Timothy 6, we said that Paul, older pastor, tells Timothy, younger pastor, who took over the church, the church that he had planted three years prior in the city, the global thriving city of Ephesians where commerce and trade was a big part of it. He says to, uh, to young Timothy, who's leading the church there, he's concerned about how does the church live in this environment? How does the church live in this political environment? How does the church live in this economic environment? What, who are the, what kind of people do we need to be? What is the Jesus way? And he says that you can fall, if you're just trying to be rich, you can fall into a bunch of traps and snares. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pierce you with many griefs. It's going to plunge you into destruction and ruin if you're all about pursuing the love of money. Be careful because there are people that are trapped. There are people that are pierced. Pierced, it says, with many griefs. Be very careful. Be careful how you deal with riches. Now, globally, we're all rich. But be careful. And he says to be rich in every good work. In other words, we said last week from Paul to Timothy to us, I said that God gives us a couple of practices. A couple of practices that train our hearts in humility and godliness and in contentment. Do you remember what they were? Serving, being rich in good deeds. See, rich in good deeds. We serve. Do you have a place where you serve? Sacrificially, faithfully, systematically, a school, a team, a church. Can they count on you? We need 100 people every Sunday to pull off two services here and to serve with our students and our children and the parking lot and the coffee and the other things. By the way, they didn't let us bring coffee when we first moved over. Now, how many of you are glad that God has worked in between the churches and we can bring some coffee up in here? 
But it takes 100 people. Do you have a place where you serve? Because when you serve, it trains your heart in godliness and contentment. When I'm serving others, I'm not so much thinking about my next trip or my next purchase. And my heart has more room to be content. And when I'm sharing, share, be, share, share your things, share your stuff, share your money. Those are the two practices that God gives us to lead us into godliness and contentment. Real quickly, so no one snoozes on me, let me tell you a little bit about Corinth. A couple of weeks ago, I told you about Ephesus, but Corinth is also a very important city. You'll see some parallels. Corinth is a huge city, and it's sort of a connecting city, also important with trade, shopping, merchants, the giving and selling, the exporting and importing. And Corinth is a, it's a connecting city. To the north is Greece. To the south is the Polynesian Peninsula. And it was very important. It was an international, multicultural city. You think about it, if you read First and Second Corinthians, the letters, and you, you do the bigger study in history and context, you'll see that some of the leaders, like Paul, they're from different areas. There was Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. In fact, Paul was like the main preacher and this is before Timothy was raised up. There was another preacher named Apollos. And they were kind of arguing over, man, if some like Apollos and some like Paul. And they're like, who do you like? Who's your favorite preacher? Who's preaching on Sunday? They would call the church and see who's preaching. And they argued back and forth. And that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, and I love this. He said, he said hey, man, Apollos watered, Paul plants, but it's God who causes the growth. Isn't that good? Man, we, we, we want leaders here who will work diligently. It says in Romans 12, if you lead, lead with diligence. We want to lead well. We want to raise up leaders. We want to team teach. We want pastors to lead in our church a plurality of leaders. But ultimately, it's God that causes the growth. If we have any numerical growth, but beyond that, if, if there's growth in your heart, if there's change in your life, it's God that causes that. But here we go, Corinth, Paul is from Tarsus, modern-day Turkey. Priscilla and Aquila, uh, they're from modern-day Italy. I see the Pennebakers who go every summer, take a group from, from Fondren in this community, go to Italy. How many of you want to go to Italy with Bob and Martha Pennebaker this summer for free? It's on Bob. Bob's going to be rich in every good work. But Priscilla and Aquila are from Italy, and then you have Apollos, who's from Alexandria, Egypt. So just in the four leaders, four of the prominent leaders, you see men and women from different places, multicultural, different languages and dialects. And into this environment, Paul is speaking, and here's why he's speaking. He's writing and he's saying, help. More true to it, he's already said help. And this church, they have said, we will help. We will help with famine relief. We will help early Christians being persecuted in Jerusalem, way across the Mediterranean Sea, we will help. And they made pledges, they made promises. And Paul's writing them, and he's not manipulating, he's not coercing, he's not using pressure or persistence or ultimatum, he's not going on and on, he's not beating or berating, he's pleading to them to make good with the decision, to follow through with the decision that they have made in their giving. And in this context, Paul, in the multicultural, international city, he says, he goes, he takes him to the farm. He says, look out over the, beyond the lights and look out over into those hills, the vineyards that are beyond those hills. And he uses this agricultural metaphor of sowing, of throwing it down. And he wants you and I, I believe, to get that sense, that sense of letting go. How many of you, you find it hard to just let go? Can I say this? I'm just throwing this in here for free, but like some of you, there's some here today, you, there's something you need to let go of. And it's the most difficult thing, but you know that it needs to end. 
Let go. Open your hands up. Quit clinging and clutching and open your hands up and let's see what God does. But there's this principle that you will not have a harvest. And by the way, I'm a farmer throwing seed. But if you will not have a harvest, okay? A weird at times, animated hand gestures. But here I am, a farmer throwing seed. Facilities ask me not to throw seeds down on the ground, okay? But I'm throwing seed. And the farmer, Paul says, will not yield the harvest unless you throw it down. You've got to let go. But, but, when you let go, there's that sinking feeling. But God is saying, and he wants to get into our hearts, and he wants to say to us, it can seem difficult. But I want you to let go. And I want you to quit holding on. And I want you to quit possessing stuff so tightly. He owns it all anyway. And when you're clinging and clutching and holding on and hoarding and acquiring and consuming, you're not letting God bless your life. There's only one way. Let's go to the farmer. Hey, city folk, come on out to the farm. Throw it down. Throw some seeds down. The only way a harvest is going to yield itself, the only way a crop is going to grow, is if you put seed in the ground. And that means you bury it and it's out of sight and it's no longer under your control. Who's in charge then? I would say God. I believe in him. Maybe Mother Nature. Some of you want to throw that in there. But God and the elements are ultimately in charge because you've given it away. Now, these were early followers. These were early followers of Jesus, and Jesus talked a little bit, you know this, he talked a little bit about money. How many of you have a mom, and she raised you that there are a few things that it's not polite to talk about? Money, politics, religion, right? Apparently, Jesus did not get the memo. And Jesus talked a lot about money. He said some of the most profound things ever. He said that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He said you cannot serve both God and money. He said life doesn't consist in abundance of possessions. He told a story and the story didn't end well for somebody. How's it going to end for you? The story didn't end well for somebody who thought their life was their own. And he says, man, that's not what life is about, hoarding possessions. When you hoard your possessions, and Jesus said, and you're not rich toward God. He talked a lot about money. Hear me, church, because it, it can be uneasy for some of us. He talked about money because he knows that money, he knows that money is an indicator of the state of your soul. So before I go on and talk about generosity and what it looks like and our, my vision for our church, I want to share with you I want to share with you that it's easy now to think, oh, Robert only wants something from me. Maybe I do. I'll give you that. But really, I want something for you. And I would hope that the balance of this sermon, and I'm going to roll through it, but I hope you would be open to what God may say to you today. If you're married, go ahead and nudge him or her what God would say to y'all today. My goal is not to raise donors. My job is to raise disciples. To see that men and women would follow after him. And you cannot separate generosity from the gospel. And the world that's hurting, the world that's so deeply dividing, divided, needs generosity and love now more than ever.
How many of you have a pet and you love that pet? How many of you have a, raise your, how many of you have a big happy dog? Let's get specific. You got a big happy dog. Now that dog thinks you are it, right? Think for a moment, feel good. This is the last feel good moment of the sermon. But just think about how the dog feels about you, right? Isn't that a good warm feeling? That dog loves you. But let me say, it's, it's, a, it's incumbent upon the preacher from time to time that when you come to church, I don't treat you like your dog treats you because your dog thinks you're awesome. <laughs> and so I'm going to say today, you are not awesome. In fact, week one, I said it, and today I'll make sure you feel it. But I want this sermon, these three, to dis- be disruptive, to be unsettling, to be a little unnerving. And rather than saying, hey, Robert, I enjoyed the sermon, you might just wrestle with it. And it might lead you into paths that you, maybe you resist now. Maybe you're fighting that. And so what I want to do today with this passage from Paul as a backdrop, I want to share with you the most significant strategic, important financial decision that I've ever made in my life. And I'm getting old, right? Shut up. Let me, uh, let me illustrate. I want to tell you a story before I do, before I tell you about the most important strategic decision I've ever made, financial decision I've ever made. I want to tell you a story that Jesus told. And Jesus in Mark chapter 12 Jesus uh, took, uh, as his life and his ministry was coming to an end, it was toward the latter days, and he took a final trip to Jerusalem, and he took with him his guys, his disciples. And he went to Jerusalem, specifically to the Mount of Olives, specifically to the temple, and specifically to the treasury in the temple. And picture with me outdoor, an outdoor colonnade with large columns, and on one side, just one side, there were vases, copper vases, kind of large vases, and people would come, and they would, they would put in their coins. Look at what it says in Mark 12, 41, I believe. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Next verse. Let's put the next one up. 42. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. So, coins. Now, it says that the disciples, they watched what was happening. Jesus wanted them to watch and he wanted them to listen. Now it says in the same passage that some came and they gave large amounts. Now I ask you, enter into the story with me, pretend you're there, how would they know that they gave large amounts? Now it's different today, right? We, we allow people to give online. Uh, we encourage people to give online. The plate is passed every time we worship. We're not Baptist, we're non-denominational, but you know, we pass the plate every time, right? And some of you are funny when the plate's passed. You're like, you know, you pass the plate and you, and you whisper, oh, we give online. Yep. Hey, oh, no, no, we give online. Just pass it on. So you're off the hook, right? But there was no online giving. You can't get this at other churches, only at Fondren. There was no online giving back then. In fact, there was no paper currency. So you get my question, you get the answer to my question. How did they know if you gave a large amount? No paper, just coins, gold coins, silver coins, copper coins. Gold coins to today's economic standards would be about $350. The silver coins were like a denarii, a day's wages. Copper coins, not worth much at all. So if you gave, say, $700, it could, in gold coins, it could sound like this. If you gave a few thousand dollars, it would sound like this. 
Jesus, just before this story, he talked about people and they were religious people. And Jesus says this, I'm quoting from the master teacher. He says, these people, often they were men, they love to walk around in flowing robes. And they love to be greeted in the marketplace with respect. They love the most important seats in the synagogue. They love the places of honor at the banquet. That's the brilliance of Jesus. He called people out. And he said, these same people, typically men, typically religious men, they do what they do. They're giving their alms, they're fasting in order to be seen by other people. So I imagine, using my sanctified imagination, I imagine someone came in from the corner where Jesus and his disciples were, and this dude had wheelbarrow, right? He had coins full, no online giving, no paper currency. Man, he brought the wheelbarrow. Excuse me, excuse me, oh, excuse me, pardon me, pardon me, excuse me. Oh, man. Got the wheelbarrow, right? My uh, back sore, legs tired, feeling numb. Ugh. I mean, look, we don't have the budget for me to bring a wheelbarrow full of coins, but just, I mean, just on, it just, it doesn't stop, right? I mean, just imagine the wheelbarrow. Imagine how awkward it was. Imagine just coins falling and falling and well, he, maybe he scooped it out like, you know, you do at the ice machine and just scooped it in there, coin after coin after coin. Next verse. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Now Peter had my personality, so he probably spoke up first. Open mouth, insert foot, and Peter probably said, Man, hey guys, see that? See that? Whoa, I mean the, the dude with the wheelbarrow said, Whoa, that dude's bringing some change, man. Let's follow him. He can give to the kingdom. Peter probably said that. And I imagine Jesus gave him the death stare. <laughs> People like me, we, that's what we need. We get the death stare. There it is, if you can see her. <laughs> Once a day, especially on weekends, death stare. Didn't have to say a word. I know. I'm loved, but I'm rebuked. Man. Jesus, he ends that with the death stare, as I imagine it. And then, while the disciples are going, look at that, look at that, look at that guy, look at what he gave you. Jesus doesn't even notice. He notices the raggedy, humble lady. I've been dropping gold and silver, but she just has little bit of copper and Jesus has the gall to say that now I don't know that I'm using my imagination now well, a little bit but Matthew he's the tax collector what do you think he said oh, hey guys should I tell Jesus I mean I'm you know advanced calculus and CPA certified public accountant you know started my own firm was with Price Cooper Waterhouse whatever you know should I tell Jesus should I tell Jesus that I mean hey man Turned water into wine, walked on water, raised the dead, healed the sick, cast out demons. They ran into the pigs. That dude has got it going on, but maybe math is not his strong suit. And Jesus turns it on his head and he says this. 44. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. So this is why 
you go to seminary. Listen to this principle right here. Let me, let me break it down for you to tell you the heart of God flowing from this story of Jesus. God measures generosity based on percentages, not an amount. We are impressed. I remember when your dad, Susan's father, her late father, when he was asked to be on the board of regents at Seton Hall University where he got his MBA, he served with a man who gave uh, $60 million to have something named after him. And then that man was indicted, Dennis Koslowski, in one of the great um, uh, fraud schemes of the late 90s. We're impressed. Oh, look at that name. Look at what they gave. Put their name up. Americans particularly are so impressed with large amounts, but heaven is not. So some of you, I want to tell you, some of you don't make a lot of money, but you give faithfully. You do what the scripture teaches and you give first fruits, not leftovers, but first fruits. And you give off the top and you give so faithfully. And maybe you look at your checkbook or your push thing online or your online or your, your giving statement. And maybe you look at that and you think, God, I don't know what you do with this. I don't know what you can do with this. It's just not much. And I want to tell you today, especially if I'm your pastor, I want to say God does not see it that way. And I remember year one of Fondren Church over there at Dueling when I sat next to a man who was struggling with life. Oh, man, was he struggling with life. In our church, uh, man, we tapped into benevolence and we helped him as much as we could. We wondered, is this helping or is it when helping hurts? But we just, we helped him. Our church, our, our people. And I'll never forget the Sunday he sat next to me and the plate came around and he gave a check, and it was like 20 bucks, and he just said, this is the first time I've been able to do this ever. That's so true. That's the easy part of pastoring. Here's the tougher part, all right? That's why some of you don't want my job. But some of you are wealthy. You're wealthy. So I want you to hear this for a second. There's somebody that makes $50,000 a year, and let's say they give away $7,500. But there's somebody that gives away $50,000, but they make $750,000. And Jesus taught this. He said, to whom much is given, much is expected. And that's not me. That's not guilt. It's just I want something for you to learn the heart of a generous God. And I don't know if I said it last week in the 9.30 or the 11 o'clock, but I learned from a friend who's a pastor. He says the tithe, that's like training wheels. But generosity is the tour de France. And that God, let me say, if you're wealthy, just be blessed. Be blessed and be wealthy. Enjoy the things that God has given you. But you, it was not you that caused your wealth. God has gifted you and he has blessed you. And he expects you to give back. Is that difficult to hear? It can be difficult to say if you're a preacher. I told you my most significant, I was going to tell you about my most significant 
strategic financial decision that I've ever made. It started when I was this guy. It started so long ago when I looked like this. It hurts that you laugh. (laughs) I'll gather myself and go on. This guy, man, this guy had to be reined in a bunch. But early on, my dad, he started giving me an allowance at this age. And the allowance came every Friday. Y'all know I love Friday. Man, I love, I love Friday back then. I, I want to be a humble guy. Y'all know I strive to be a humble guy. But I just want to say I'm the one who coined the phrase, thank God it's Friday. <laughs> and my dad would give me my allowance on Friday. And he said, Robert, is it all yours? If it's a dollar, is that whole dollar yours? And he talked to me about first fruits giving. He, he talked to me really about training wheels. I didn't know it at the time. But I began to learn that if I get a dollar, maybe I give a dime. If, if, if I get $10, I give a dollar. If I give a, get $100, I give $10. If I get $1,000, I give $100. i got to stop because I'm not good at math. And I began to learn that I'm not the owner. And please take the picture down. <laughs> and I learned it then. And this is my story, so don't interrupt. But... I've never forgotten that story. And I've always lived that way. Now, I'm a sinful man. Do you believe that? I mean, like my sins, I'm the pastor, my sins are many. I struggle with many areas of my life, and some of those areas are not fully yielded to Jesus. Would you pray for me? Not now, listen to the sermon, but pray for me later. But a lot of my areas of life are not, some are not. But this is one area by personal experience. This is my story. And I'm telling you, I believe that my life has been blessed in so many ways. Now hear me. I don't believe a preacher can preach a sermon on generosity and be faithful to the Bible without getting a little bit close to sounding like a guy on TV. And can I tell you how much I hate that? Because I'm not a fan of those guys on TV. I'm sorry, that's probably mean. But I'm just not a fan. Like, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to make promises that aren't true. I don't want to speak for God in areas that I don't need to. But I do want to say this over and over and over again. We are taught in his word that the life that God blesses is a life that gives. And so I don't want to stand up here today and say, well, he's going to, you do this, and he's going to bless you with this. But I will say this. If you make giving a part of your life, Faithfully, systematically, strategically, you give. I believe your life is more likely to be blessed. Now, will it be this way or that way? Well, I'm troubled by that because in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, Give. You give and it will be given to you 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold. I believe we have been blessed financially. I believe this church has been blessed financially because we have not hoarded our money. And we have given. And we have always been committed to giving. Now, I believe he'll bless you financially. It could be in a bonus, a pay raise. It could be a promotion. I believe you can be blessed. More, you're more likely to be blessed financially if you're a generous giver. But I also believe it comes in other ways. I think it could come in longevity. I know one person who's given, man, it's like my car just won't die. It just keeps going. I don't have to buy another car. I'm a giver. I, God's blessing me. 
Some of you driving a car, I mean, how many of you are driving a car? But you pray, God, just kill it, kill the car. I want it to die, right? But longevity, washer, dryer, cars, appliances, things just can last longer. Financially, longevity, um, protection. A financial storm hits and God is your shelter through that storm. And he blesses you. He blesses your generous heart. He's looking for generous hearts to bless. But maybe the blessing is this because we're, we're giving personally. We're giving more now than we've ever given by far. But we're also walking through a season where things are kind of difficult. And we're having to make choices. And how do we handle this? So I'm walking a little farther away from the prosperity preacher, right? The guy on TV. But I'm telling you, as we give and we give, even when it hurts, we're blessed with contentment. We're being rich to God. I don't have time to tell you stories. I'd love to if you buy me lunch or coffee or a nice dinner at Walker's. But I could tell you stories over and over again. Because when you work with Campus Crusade, a large missionary organization that raises money, you do that for 14 years, you got stories to tell. God has come through over and over again. And uh, seven and a half years ago, I walked this block. And felt God calling us to start a church here. And sensed that we would have this place. He's so good. And our church and our leaders, we're committed personally to live a generous life. We don't want anybody leading at the level of elder who, are, who themselves are not generous because I don't want anybody leading our church that's not walking in God's blessings themselves. But our church has been committed. If you're uneasy right now and you've got some issue with me, let me just say, we practice what we preach times two. And we take our church budget and everything that comes in. We, we pay staff. We pay the preacher. How many of you think you ought to pay the preacher? It's not the overwhelming response I was looking for. Uh, okay, let's see. Got three kids. How many of you want my kids to eat? Okay, better. But we take care of a few folks who work hard. And ministry draws some lazy people. I'm just committed to not having lazy people working at Fondren Church. We tell our staff, meet your deadlines and bring value to, the, to our church, bring value to the lives of other people. We're never going to have a large staff. We're not going to put a ton of our budget toward that, all of that toward that. And, but we have this building, and we have like you do at home, like we do at home. We sit down and go, oh, Lord, okay, how do we make this work? But our church, we take the tithe, and we double the tithe. And we give it away to causes, compassionate causes here locally and around the world. I think that is really cool. And do you know, recently I walked into an elder meeting, to a board meeting. I thought, you know, we got to pay some more on this note. And we gotta, blah, 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 blah. Maybe, maybe we don't give away all we gave away. Maybe this year we don't give away all we gave away. And there's godly people around me and a couple of them that irritated me. They go, man, you know, we said last year we want to give so it hurts. And not be the church that just goes insular and does everything for ourselves. But we give and we give away. And you know my prayer is that there will be a day in the future. As God raises up generous people that will shatter 20% of what is given away.